Good morning. What a joy it is to be back in the house of the Lord. If I had to watch church on video or internet, I'd backslide or have to have church all by myself. I just cannot do it. I don't read from the screen. I print it and read it. I'm just one of those kind of, uh, kind of guys. I'm, I'm strange. But the Bible said I'm supposed to be peculiar. It's sort of synonymous, isn't it? You know, we live in uh, very, very difficult times. Nothing like this has happened since uh, 103 years ago. 1917, when the Spanish flu <clears throat> took out so many, many people, and I'll allude to that in my message today. We live in an uncertain time and a, and a more difficult time than back then. I'm very blessed to have as the chairman of the Alabama Adult and Teen Challenge Board, Angel Rodriguez a personal injury attorney practicing law in New York City, but living in Auburn, Alabama. He did a video the other day at the Alabama district's request. It was a cross-examination. He sent me a copy. And in the cross-examination, he is dealing with Dr. Michael Sharp, former pastor of the Crossing in McCalla, Alabama. He starts out, Dr. Sharp, you call yourself a doctor, but you have no medical degree. And then he continues on, you do not specialize in this branch of medicine or this branch of medicine, and to, to your admission, you have no knowledge of medicine. And he continues, and he talks about our opening up children's camp, which they just canceled. And in opening up children's camp, he said, you opened it up without having professionals come in and clean, and you opened it up without regard to little Johnny, who's the young man who became ill at summer camp. And he is my client. And he continued on. And it got worse and worse and worse as it went on until finally you felt sorry for Dr. Sharp having to go through this because I've been on those stands before. But then you felt sorry for little Johnny who had contracted an illness that possibly could, be, could have been avoided. But I say that we live in a more uncertain time than just that. Because we live in a suit-happy world. So the regulations and, and the rules that this pastor and board placed upon us as worshipers are there for our protection and for the protection of the whole of the church. 
For let me give you an example and go on with angels. Cross-examination. What if someone walked into the building and purposely found someone who was infected or someone was infected and they, they became infected? Who's going to sue and what is going to happen to our church? They were showing on television the other day inmates in prison trying to get sick from one another with this virus. It's crazy. We're living in a crazy, crazy world. I have purposefully kept myself home because of the, the underlying circumstances of this virus. My wife, having gone through surgery last year, chemotherapy, radiation, is susceptible. And it's very difficult to raise $2.6 million on the telephone and through correspondence. But God is faithful. He's been faithful to this church, I understand, and your willingness to continue to give and that relieves your pastor's mind, I'm sure. But you don't give it just to give. You give it because it is not, not just expected of you. It is what God requires of all of us. That we give according to his plan and his will. In the early days of this, I was invited to a church and I sat on one side of the, of the stage, he sat, the pastor sat on the other, and we were talking about Alabama Adult and Teen Challenge and the needs. And I said, I'll only come on your, your online interview if you will allow me to just simply encourage people to give to your church. The tithe that is required. So we talked very little about the inner workings of Alabama Adult and Teen Challenge because I wanted to tell the people the tithe belongs to the church. The offerings and alms are at your discretion. And if you want to include Teen Challenge in that, thank you. I wrote a letter this week to a a lady who had invited me and others from the Lincoln Center to her house. She's the widow of a judge that sat on the bench in Talladega for a number of years, and I had the privilege of meeting him. I had the privilege of sitting in his courtroom when a young man from my church was being sentenced by him. But as I walked into this, onto this lady's property and ultimately onto her enclosed wraparound porch just off a point at uh, Logan Martin Lake, we just started talking. She said, have you ever had anybody put Teen Challenge in a wheel? I said, not in a while, but yes. 
Do you mind if I put you in my will? Would love for you to. She said, well, today I got a little check. Three times she said, I've got a little check I want to give you today. And at the conclusion of our conversation, she handed me a check for $100,000. The largest unattached gift I have ever received for any ministry. I thanked her, and in my letter I said, I just want you to know that little did you or I know the miracle that was attached to that check and your obedience to God in giving it. Now, don't get all excited about $100,000. We've already spent that <laughs> because of all the downturns that have happened as a result of canceled church services and canceled banquets and all the other things that have been canceled that we've had to deal with. But that's the uncertainty of the day. But I'm reminded of a man by the name of George Mueller, Bristol, England. Mr. Mueller was a preacher of the gospel and a man of prayer and of faith. God told him to build an orphanage. And Mr. Mueller was brave enough and bold enough to say to God, I will build your orphanage, but I won't ask for any money. Now this was back in the 1800s when $5 million was a world, a world of money. But he built a $5 million orphanage, never asking for a dime. On one occasion, he was sailing to the United States. They got in this heavy fog, and they, he was going to be late for his preaching engagement. And ultimately, the captain said to him, Mr. Mueller, you're just not going to make that date. We cannot get to shore. And Mueller said, you steer, you pilot, and I'll pray. And they disembarked that ship early because of what God can do. So I'm excited about you. I'm excited about church. I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about how God is going to handle all of this situation we're having to endure today. But I believe that God is still in control. God is still on the throne. God is still moving by His power and His Spirit. <clears throat> I, have, I have been so excited to get back and say something to people. I'm tired of just being with my wife. I'm sorry. You don't have to repeat that. If it's being recorded, bleep it out. I've been walking around my community a couple of times every day. If I, if I walk the perimeter it, 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 without going down in the bottom, it, it's, it's, it's three-quarters of a mile. So I, so I walk around, and I, and I just saw a guy who was, who was edging his yard. And I stopped. 
not knowing that he had been a military instructor at uh, Maxwell Gunter Air Base, not knowing that he had left there and became an advisor to the U.S. Congress, not knowing who I was talking to, but just, just sharing with him my, my feelings and he with me. And he said, I, I guess because of what you're telling me, you're a Christian. I said, yes, sir. Then he starts quoting end-time things to me, although he is not a professing Christian, because it has opened his eyes to begin to read things that are being said about what God is all about. I'm just excited that we are living in a day when we can see a spiritual revival in the midst of the trouble, the turbulence that is upon planet Earth. I just know that God has everything under control. And I just want to be obedient to Him. The year was 1914. World War II started in that year. The Assemblies of God was formed in that year for such a time as it was. The power of God was evident as this new Pentecostal movement began declaring that God would do marvelous, miraculous things and He would infill believers with the power of His Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they would be sustained in the most difficult times. From 1914 to 1918, the war raged. And in 1917 and 18, the Spanish flu hit with millions of people being destroyed. No bailouts. No sequestering of people. No isolation. Everybody was trying to fend for themselves. And the loss of life was insurmountable because of the wickedness of this epidemic. But God, in the midst of all of that, still moved upon His people, poured out His Spirit upon believers, and they were rejoicing and giving thanks unto the Lord. And then came the roaring twenties with blood running in the gutters of the streets of major cities as a result of the crimes that were evident in that day. But yet, the Holy Spirit was being outpoured upon believers, and the glory of God came and touched the lives of people, and they were baptized in a new baptism of the Spirit that would move upon them to do great exploits. God. And then came the Great Depression, and the stock market fell, and nobody had any hope. My dad told me, son, your generation couldn't go through the Great Depression. Now the generation after me, I can say, would never go through the Great Depression. But I'm thankful 
that there is a power that resides within the church of the living God in the presence of the Holy Spirit who we deem to be the third person of the Godhead but the one who is going to restore victory and power and grace and glory to the house of God as we rejoice and give thanks unto His name. This Pentecostal experience came and People wanted to relegate it to a back room and say, this is nothing but a cult. This is of the devil. These are backwoods people who have no education, and they're incapable of really knowing what the truth is. They're poor, ignorant, illiterate, unlearned people. But let me remind you that the first general superintendent of the Assemblies of God was a Baptist Bible school graduate and ordained minister with a Baptist organization, and along with that were editors, authors, business people, doctors, lawyers, individuals who would come into a, a, a powerful move of God and allow themselves to be overcome by the power and the presence of the Lord People who would just dare believe the word of the Lord. Amen. We need some more of those. I hope you're one of those. I trust you're one of those. And I believe you're one of those or you wouldn't be here today. Because this is not a good book. This is the book by which we base all that we believe and we, we trust in him for all things. So what are we going to do with this power that now resides in our lives? And in 2020, we're faced with a calamity that the world we know has never seen before. Those who were there in those days now have all but died off. And we have no one who can share with us the experiences they went through in those days of calamity in the early 1900s. But I know in whom I believe, and I am firmly convinced that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against any day, and that day in particular. We need to understand that God is our source, our strength, our present help in time of trouble. He will never leave us alone, but he will be there to abide with us in all things as we trust and believe in his name. So I'm here today to encourage you not to allow the affairs of this world to discourage you, or to dissuade you, but that you will accept the things of this world as God's plan for this time that he might reveal himself anew and powerful and capable of moving again in our hearts and lives. Three of the Asian missionaries of the Assemblies of God contracted this hideous, terrible plague. One of them was from West Florida. One was the foreign missions director for the Assemblies of God, and the other was from Arkansas. These three 
individuals were on ventilators in the hospital and all but given up to die. I am glad to report to you that all three of them are back doing the work of God because God's strength and power is still real. Just this past week, Dale Simmons, the wife of Lane Simmons, who's the presbyter of the Andalusia section of the Assemblies of God and pastor of First Assembly of God Greenville was placed into Baptist South in Montgomery, Alabama and on a ventilator. But I am glad to report to you that while they called the family in on Thursday that she was going to die having been put on 100% oxygen, today that oxygen is down to 60% and she is going to rise up and give glory unto the Lord one more time because of the mercies and the goodness that God is capable of doing. I've been praying, God just heal these people in such a phenomenal way that there is no doubt that it is you. It is you who is doing the healing. Our foreign missions director, Greg Munda's son, is a medical doctor. I kept reading his post, and they were getting more and more dismal until things began to turn around, and then they got more and more excited, and he had no doubt in his mind that it was the God of the universe, the Lord of the church who had touched his dad's life and given him healing over this terrible plague. I don't know what you think about Trump. I don't know what you think about his leadership. But the Bible on which he placed his hand when he took the oath of office came from Scotland. In the tremendous countrywide revival and one of his ancestors passed it down from one to the other until Donald Trump became recipient of that Bible and it is in the Oval Office as a testimony of God's glory and power and I believe today that God is going to do marvelous things if we will just allow him well don't take that as my sermon because that was just a warm-up. <laughs> I'm reminded of Charles Greenaway, who never preached under an hour, but don't get disturbed. I don't have the energy he did. He would say crazy things like as he whirled his handkerchief in the air, if they run you out of town, Get out front and make it look like a parade. <laughs> or he would say, we're, we're going to make it. We may not look like much when we get there, but we're going to make it. <laughs> Charles Greenaway died. They buried him at El Bethel Assembly of God in, in New Brockton. <laughs> Some guy from Springfield came to his funeral, went back home and said to the general council, 
I am so glad that Greenaway's funeral lasted as long as one of his sermons. But Greenaway said this, nobody gets in my funeral without an offering given to missions. He buried four of his five children in Africa. But the one who lived set the alarms off at the airport from the metal in the money he was carrying from the offering. We are standing on the shoulders of spiritual giants. And now it's our turn to stand up with backbones like telephone poles with the tenacity and the courage and the, and the intestinal fortitude to say to what is happening to us today, we are going to be victorious because of God. In John chapter 7, they're going to put it on the screen. They're always so kind to do that in the King James Version. That was the one I used years ago. By the way, I, I became friends on Facebook recently with a, with a girl that was just a little, little tot when I began to pastor Graysville Assembly of God. And her mother lived next door, and they were a part of the church. Mom died yesterday. The mother of that young lady. Without my ever having gone back and apologized for practicing on her in my sermons. So I'll, I'll before I get started, apologize to you for practicing one more time. Would you stand together with me, please? John chapter 7, beginning to read with verse number 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth in me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, touch our lives in these next few moments that we will give glory to you, that we will be testaments of your grace, your glory, your victory, that we will leave no doubt in those who see us minds that you are our victor, our strength, our present help, and the one who is going to more than sustain us, but going to deliver us in this time in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It was the Feast of Tabernacle. It took place in the month of October. It was the Harvest Feast. 
It was the time when the priest gave thanks to God for what he had done in providing for them the sustenance to live from the fruit of the ground. At this particular feast, he would take water, which signified life. One of the key ingredients to cause plants to grow and pour it upon the altar. And it would fall off the altar onto the parched soil. The soil would quickly consume it and it would be gone. A waste of the water. Now we think very little about water today. Our young people don't know what it is because they turn on the faucet and there it flows. Not many of us left today who can remember the creek or remember the well that was in the backyard. You see, we have water in abundance because the average Rainfall in Alabama is 72 inches a year, that high. And in Israel, it's less than 12 inches a year. That's why they dug the citrons that held the water. That's why they had conduits that came down into various areas where they lived so that water could be carried from one place to the other. And in that parched, arid land, there was just lifeless mile after mile after mile as you travel. And so these people were respectful of water. They didn't let it run. They took care of it. And so as this water was poured by the priest onto the altar and it went to the ground, Jesus used it as a point of illustration. And the Bible said he stood. Now when I was introduced this morning by Brother Kay, I, I stood, which indicated I have the floor. I have the authority to speak. And so did he. And so he stood to emphasize the fact that he had something to say, something of importance to convey. And so he stood to his feet, and then the next thing he did was he cried. Now, I think it was more than just screaming to get the attention of the people. I think he did more than just get loud so that people could hear him. He cried out because he was passionate about what he had to say. Dr. Arthur Graves of Southeastern University said to his preacher class, if you don't get excited about what you're saying, don't, get, don't expect anybody else to get excited about what you're saying. And so Jesus emphatically declared what he wanted them 
to know. Standing to his feet in a, point, in a place of authority, he spoke an authoritative word unto those who would hear because he wanted to get up and speak under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He had already said this in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And so he stood to his feet, and he began to declare, If any man thirst. Now there's not very many of us in the room, and I say us, there's not many of you in the room who's ever been thirsty. Not really thirsty. We may have needed a drink of water. Our lips may have been dry, but not parched. Our tongue may have been dry, but not swollen. Our throats may have ached, but not clothed. We've never, we've never experienced that thirst that controls an individual and says, I've got to have a drink of water for we can, we can live without water for a while. A man walked up to me one day whose wife was critically ill and said, they took everything away from her, including liquids. And it took her seven days to die. That's how much she wanted to live for me. And I walked away saying, did that man just tell me he killed his wife? We can live without water fluids for a while. So we've not really had that thirst in the natural. But God help us. Have thirst in the spiritual that says to the living water of life, come into me, flow through me, do in me what you want to do in me so that I won't be dry and arid and, arid, and I won't be shallow or narrow, but I will be available unto you, your kingdom's work, and I will follow after you. He cried, if any man, that includes you. That includes me. That includes anyone who will dare believe. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me. The word if puts the ball squarely in our court for us to make a decision. We have to make the decision to thirst. We have to make the decision to long after. We have to have make the decision to desire. We have to make the decision to come. We have to make the decision to drink. For you can lead a horse to water. But you can't make him drink. I'm a cowboy fan. I'm talking about not Dallas Cowboys. I'm, I'm a cowboy fan. I'm, I'm a, I'm a gunsmoke fan. I'm a rawhide fan. I love, to, I, I love to watch rawhide, and I love to pick out the dumb things they put in those films. My wife hates to watch television with me. Number one, she's not a cowboy fan. But number two, I always tell her, 
that herd will smell water and will run over all those cowboys and their horses to get to that water. But they have to drive them to the water. Hogwash. Now I'm not likening you and me to a, to a cow. But let me tell you, when I get a, a whiff of the power of the Holy Spirit, when I, get a, when I get a little hint that God is doing something in his house, when I get this little goosebump feeling on my life that God is running those Holy Ghost goosebumps all over me, I have this desire to run to the water and drink freely of what God has to give us today. Let him come. Let him drink. Let him believe. Anyone who thirsts, let him come. But there's a catch. If we're going to have access to the water, there's going to have to be obedience to the giver. We have to give ourselves to his plan and his purpose so that he can flow into our lives with this life-giving water. But then his part comes after our part. Out of his belly shall flow there's something about getting that, that water in us and we become conduit through which God pours his spirit. It's like the two guys who were, who were standing at the altar one day and one was saying, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord. And the other one got tired of it and looked up at God and said, don't do it, he leaks. A river Dammed up becomes a lake. He said, River, we're not to dam up the progress of God that flows through our lives, but we are to become conduit through which the power of the Holy Spirit moves and we touch the lives of other people who are less fortunate than ourselves and we minister unto them through the power of the Holy Spirit and they're divinely healed, they're supernaturally delivered, they are saved by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, they are moved to believe and trust in God and they begin to excel in the ways and the works of God simply by their obedience but by God pouring his spirit into our lives and us touching the lives of other individuals we should be in a torrent river that consumes everything around us I pastored for 11 years in Selma on the Alabama River on more than one occasion we would have to cross the river into the community of Selmont and move people out of their homes because the river would get out of its banks and move in to the houses. I've driven 
Highway 82. Through Columbus, Mississippi. When the river would get out of its banks and the people would be canoeing in the park and the water 12, 15, 18 feet deep and coming up and almost crossing the highway, a river, a river. We need a river. We need a new move of God. We need a torrent river that will flow and break away all that is old and all that is unused and all that is no good and so that we can be fresh and alive and victorious by the power and the mercy of God. We need a church-wide revival that will stir the hearts of people and them respond to the work and the will and the plan of God for this river shall flow. Never ending supply a river of living water not stagnant water living water not contaminated water pure water that's going to flow into our lives as we trust in a God who is going to do what he said he would do you see John's gospel chapter 4 Talks about the little lady at the well. And Jesus said, you drink of this water, you're going to thirst. But if you drink of my water, you'll never thirst again. Out of your belly shall flow that river of clean, pure, holy water. That's going to satisfy your soul and touch the lives of those who are around you by God's grace and God's mercy. But then, not only his part and our part, but it's our combined effort. God working in us. This spake he of the Spirit. For the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, had not yet been given. Our part is to be just like the early disciples. They tarried, he came. He gave the tongues of fire and the wind to signify his being there. They just sat and took it in. He gave the utterance. They spoke. Because all of us have to understand that God in his infinite mercy has given us the wherewithal to get into the river and to let the river overcome our lives. There's a, there's a spot outside of Graysville called Littleton Ferry on the river. 
I can remember baptizing the first converts that I won to the Lord in that river at that spot. I can remember taking one big old guy down. You got to understand, back then I weighed about 135 pounds. I looked like a toothpick. I took that big guy down in that muddy, murky water, and when I got him back up, I was six inches shorter. And his wife wasn't much different. I just got another stance. But then his daughter came along. She had this little cloth thing holding her hair, and when I got her down and picked her up, that thing came off. Here I was, standing in the mud, watching her hair thing float down the river, and I had no alternative. I just swam down, got it, and brought it back to her. But coming out of the water, she bumped her arm on a pine tree and began to cry. She tried to eat lunch, but it made her sick. And she continued to be sick until the evening service. Brother Jerry was in the service that night. I didn't know why she had gone out a couple of times, but I knew there was something wrong. So I called her up for prayer thinking I was praying for nausea. God knows the root of the problem. We're pretty shallow. Let me just get that out. We're pretty shallow. We know a portion. We know a little, but he knows it all. And so I called the preachers who were there to, to come up and help me pray. And we laid hands on this young lady and she was healed the nausea immediately went away not knowing that she had been healed of a more grave situation for on Friday before that Sunday she had hurt her arm Because it was swollen and it was the weekend, they said, come back on Monday and we'll do the x-rays. But in all probability, your arm is broken. And they put it in an ace bandage. And that's the arm she bumped on the pine tree, exiting the river, Littleton Ferry. While I was praying for nausea, God healed the arm. She took that ace bandage off, and when they took the x-ray, nothing wrong, because God had already been there 
to touch the light. Let me tell you, the byproduct, the overflow of that river that will touch the lives and the hearts and the, the spirits of individuals who will get in the wake of what God is doing and let him do it well because of his divine power. You see, the day of Pentecost came, they were all with one accord. They were all in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. Tongues of fire came and sat upon each of them and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And we've got to come back. Hear me. We have got to come back to that place where the Spirit of God is preeminent in the house of the Lord. We say that he's the third person of the Trinity as if he's lesser than God the Father and God the Son. But he's equal. We sometimes come up with the mistaken idea that there's jealousy in the Godhead. One preacher in a forum at sectional council actually got up and said that it has been said that there will come a time when the Holy Spirit will be emphasized more than Jesus. Who cares? They're equal. The Holy Spirit can't save anybody except by the blood. The blood could have never flowed had it not been for the love of God the Father. None of us could have come to Jesus if the Holy Spirit had not wooed us through conviction by His power. Let's get this straight. The Holy Spirit is co-equal in the Godhead. And if you're not afraid of God, if you're not afraid of Jesus, don't be afraid of the Holy Ghost power who will come upon your life and fill you with His presence and with His power. The lady they laid to rest yesterday that was in my first church in Graysville was the first to ever admit to me I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit. And I left that church without her having been filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. We have this fear because we've we've been taught that he's the only one that we can blaspheme and it not be forgiven. But that's not true. The ultimate blaspheming is to reject Jesus as Savior and God's love and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the Holy Spirit we should be afraid of if that's true. And we all need to be awestruck of all three. Because if we do not reverence them, we have a problem. I stood on the back porch of my Aunt Addie Melvin's home in Massillon, Alabama just over a hill. 
She wanted to give me a drink of fresh well water. I'll never forget it. It is vividly, indelibly printed on my mind that day when that aunt drew that bucket. And she sat it on the porch. And she reached over and she got a dipper. And she dipped it down into that wonderful, heavenly well water. Can't you taste it now? But I made a mistake. I'll never forget it. I'm not a city slicker, but I was raised where there was running water. We didn't have a well. And when I reached for the dipper, and this is another thing I can't handle about cowboys, they do it too. I grabbed the dipper and not the handle. And for the first time in my life, Aunt Addie scolded me. Some of you old folks are smiling like you know exactly where I'm going. I contaminated the receptacle. Had she dipped it back down into the water, the germs that I had left on the dipper would have put in, gone into the water that the next person would drink. Folks, be careful of the receptacle. Your light, keep it holy. Keep it pure. Keep it under the blood. Keep your sins confessed. Keep your life repentant. Keep your heart pure. Keep the vessel to where it's not contaminating so that others will not be contaminated by your contamination. But the water, in spite of the scolding, tasted so good and the next time the next time I got a drink of water from a well I got hold of the handle and I drank from the dipper the cool refreshing water the same thing holds true of the Spirit. We grab hold. We come. We drink freely with the sole objective beyond being satisfied of our own thirst, touching the thirst of others through the power that comes in by his grace. The songwriter wrote, there is a river that flows 
from deep within. There is a fountain that frees my soul from sin. Come to the water. There is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry. Would you stand to be?